again, good morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for being here, being, of our commu- being a part of our community, as, as I hope you feel as you just were. When we come together as a community, as a family, we support one another uh, through grief, uh, through trial, through expressions of lament, but also through expressions of joy and hope. And, and I think the passage of Scripture we're going to be in today is one that speaks to a uh, a hope that we can have both for the future and a hope that we have uh, daily. Because you see, for the past three weeks, we've been looking at passages of Scripture that speak to what it means to be a child of God. Uh, how does one b- become a child of God? How is someone born into God's kingdom as a child of God? How do we live out the attributes of our Heavenly Father and the way that we relate to those around us? And so we've been looking at these passages of Scripture that, that speak to being a child of God. And, and I've become convinced of this. The more I look at these passages of Scripture, the more and more I believe that when we know what we are in God's kingdom, the more we will know what we're supposed to do as part of God's kingdom. The more we know what we are in God's kingdom, the more we will know what we are to do as part of God's kingdom. When we are grounded in our identity and we have a proper understanding of of who we are and what God's created us to be, that inevitably leads us to what we are to do, the actions that we are to take, the causes that we are to take up. And I think so many times we get this in reverse. I I think so often people uh, find their identity grounded in their actions, grounded in, in their job or their career or their personal achievements. And so their identity is grounded in, in the work and the action. And what happens is when there's a change in the external, right? When, when maybe there's a, a downsizing or the job ends, or if it's an athlete who finds their identity in their athletic achievement, if there's a personal injury or something like that, when, whenever that happens and brings on that life crisis, now, now it's, it's not, they're not just navigating that change in life crisis, which was hard enough, but now it's who am I? This is what I thought I was. This is who I thought I was. And now that this is taken away, how do I move forward? And so it's, it, it, it's just so much more difficult when you find your identity grounded in, in what you do. Because in Scripture, we see the reverse. Time and time again, Scripture is constantly teaching us who we are in Christ. And now as a result of that, of that and, and, and that truth, this is what we're called to do. These are the actions that we are to take. We do what we do because of who we are in him. Okay, we do what we do because of who we are in him. And when we understand this, that helps us comprehend how there's an inward transformation that's happened because of who we are in Christ. And it leads to a change in our outward expressions and the way that we act, the way that we relate to one another. Once more, that dynamic should also help us ask questions. Okay, with my actions, with the expression of, of, of the way that I live, the way that I treat other people, does that fall in line with what I believe about myself? Does that fall in line with, with the theology that, that, that I, I live by? What I mean by that is this. You can't claim to be a child of God, yet your life and your actions be characterized by hate and animosity and bitterness. We can't claim to be a, a child of God, yet consistently and, and constantly are our life is characterized by, by uh, pursuit of, of, of sinful power and lust and ego. We can't claim to be a child of God, but yet our action, our lifestyle reveals uh, a pursuit of sin and, or, and uh, an easiness of being around sin and, and, uh, and the easiness of being around actions that run counter to the wisdom and the word of God. When that is the case, when our lifestyle is characterized by these pursuits that are against the word of God, then it reveals it reveals truthfully that we are not a child of God. It reveals that, that we are not a part of his kingdom because our lives are, have, are showing that they have not experienced this transformative work of the Holy Spirit. And so perhaps we might be deceiving ourselves about who we are or what we were claiming to be. 
We're going to be a passage of scripture this morning um, that uh, is diagnostic. Let me say it like that. Like this is, I know it's a big word, but this word, this passage will help you look at your own soul. This will help you look at your own relationship with the Lord. Because when this passage of scripture was given uh, to the initial recipients, to the readers of it, it was, it was given to do two things. One, to provide assurance of salvation, and two, to, uh, to counter a false teaching that has worked its way into the church. It was written, uh, for, it was written to help give that assurance of salvation because uh, there were so many that had been led, away, led astray by these, by these false teachers. They didn't know, hey, am I a follower of Christ or am I not a follower of Christ? But what this passage of Scripture does, it helps ask us the questions, does my life reveal that I'm a child of God? Or have I lied to myself? Have I deceived myself about my own salvation, about my relationship with the Lord? Once more, uh, because uh, it, it speaks to some of that deception, there was deception that brought in from, from these false teachers. I'm getting it all out of whack. Let's just go with this. It summarizes two things, assurance of salvation and it counters false teachers. Let me set up what the false teaching was that this text was doing that this text was addressing. There's some false teachers that have worked their way into the church. And so John writes first, I'm all out of whack, guys. Uh, can I just stop and like call just like a, a repeat for a second? Can I like just erase it? I don't know. The confidence monitor went out on Rich. And so like my brain's going out on me. And so, uh, so what we're doing, we're in a passage of scripture. I said, I told you what it is. Passage of scripture that counters uh, false teaching and provides assurance of salvation. John was having to write 1 John for both of these because these false teachers had worked their way into the church. And these teachers had come in preaching a false gospel that preached this. It divided the world into two things, the spiritual and the material. These false teachers said it only matters what you know. Uh, as, as long as you have this right knowledge about God, as long as you have this right knowledge about these doctrines or have this intellectual assent, as long as you have this right knowledge about these spiritual things, you're fine. And because the spiritual world is all that matters. And they preached that the, the material world, okay, any, anything that was made up of matter, all right, you're, anything that has mass, takes up space, matter, okay? Anything like that was inherently sinful and corrupt and was just broken and, and not worthwhile. And so that led so many of these false teachers to say, okay, I have this knowledge and my body is material, it's made up of matter, and since it's already corrupt, I can do whatever I want to do with my body. I can do whatever I want to do, I, any actions that I take, I can live however I want to live because it's sinful anyways, I have this knowledge, I'll be fine. And somehow that false teaching, that heretical teaching worked its way into the church. Now, maybe you can already start to see the problems of that, aside from just kind of seeing how I'll describe it. You can see how that might be very damaging to the early church, because what false teachings do, what false gospels do, a lot of times they take bits and pieces of truth, but they surround them with dishonesty. Like, for instance, I mean, we talk about the gospel, like that's good news. That's knowledge we want everyone to know, right? We want all to know about who Christ is and the work that he's done on the cross and how it's there where he brought about the forgiveness of our sins and, and, and was able to give us his righteousness in return so we can have right standing before the Lord. That is the good news. That is the hope of the kingdom. We want everyone to know that, right? That is a special knowledge. Once more, we want people to believe in it. We want people to put their faith and their trust in it because when they trust in the gospel, the Holy Spirit brings about the forgiveness of sin and reconciles us unto God. It is a spiritual work that is happening. And so if we just focus on that, then, then, then you know, we'd kind of be uh, emphasizing just the spiritual. But that's not where Jesus stopped. Jesus taught and showed how faith in him, trust in him, belief in him, response to his gospel 
how it has ramifications for our day-to-day living. It doesn't just give us hope for heaven and the eternal life, although it does those things. It also has immediate ramifications and repercussions for how you live out your day-to-day living, the actions that you take, the way that you relate to one another. The hope of his gospel is holistic. It brings spiritual and material together. It's hope for the eternal that impacts us here in the temporal. We cannot divorce the two. And so we have to counter that heresy. And that's why John writes his letter to help expose that false teaching uh, that would work its way into the church and to also, again, provide assurance of faith for those that had responded to the true gospel. One thing that he could do, one tenet that he could preach, one doctrine that he could emphasize that would accomplish both those tasks is to remind them who they are in the family of God. He could remind them about what they are in the kingdom of God and that will enable them to know what they are to do for Christ and for his kingdom. And with that, it will also expose the heresy of these false teachers. So let's look at it. First John chapter one, verse three. Uh, that's not even close to it. First John chapter three, verse one. It's, it's one of those mornings, folks. First John chapter three, one through 10. Uh, here we go. All right, I like... Thank you, Lord, for grace. (laughs) Here we go. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. First thing that we need to know about what we are in in the kingdom and who we are before the Lord is we are loved. See what great love the Father has lavished onto us. You are loved. Every week as we look at these texts that speak to being a child of God, we will see this theme come to the forefront of how much you are loved by God. We even saw it last week in Blessed Are the Peacemakers, that, that we are loved before we're a child of God, that, that we, are, we are loved while, while we're enemies of God, while we are still in our sin, while we are far from him. God's love meets us there and leads us to Christ that we might know the hope of who he is and what he's done. And when we trust in him and become a a child of God and become part of his family, his love continues to be poured out onto us in generous fashion because he doesn't just uh, reconcile us and bring us into his family and say, okay, you have to stay over there on the side. You made me send my son. I had to sacrifice him and you're in, but you just need to sit over there and think about it in an eternal time out. Like, no, that's not what he does. He brings us in. He brings us part of his family. He allows us to be co-heirs with Christ. And he gives us work. He gives us roles to play in and through his kingdom. And it's just, just grace upon grace and love upon love that he gives this to his people. That they would be able to do such a thing. And so we see how much love the Lord is, is lavishing onto his children. That we, uh, that we are children of God. And that is what we are. But... I, this phrase, child of God, I think has lost, um, I, I think it's lost a bit of its power, a bit of its punch in, in the cultural context of maybe just the U.S., but also in the Deep South. Uh, I'll, I'll go at this two ways. Um, one, I, the, I think one of the reasons why it's lost its punch is because people have a, a false belief that everyone's a child of God. Um, okay, everyone's created in the image of God, but not everyone's a child of God. Scripture lets us know uh, that, that, that before we respond to Christ, we're enemies of him. Now, thankfully, God loves 
his enemies, right? He's, his love meets us there. We've already talked about it. He meets us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion, and shows us a way where we can become his child, shows us the way how he has worked to adopt us into his family. And so he wants all to be his child, but we don't need to have this errant belief that all of us just aren't. No, we're created in his image. He wants us to be his child, but it, it is, as we saw two weeks ago, it, it's a place of us confessing our sin, believing in Christ, and allowing and, and trusting in the Holy Spirit to do this work, to forgive us of our sins and, and, to, and to have us born again into the kingdom of God. And so I, I think that creates to uh, this errant belief about just this phrase, child of God. Uh, also, I, I think that um, uh, I, I think that belief comes from really kind of the, the cultural roots or the cultural Christianity roots of the U.S. with everybody kind of having some of that similar language around these theological tenets. Some of you are like, where are you going with this? If you go to other parts of the globe that, that maybe or uh, have a different uh, religious cultural context, uh, those religions, some of them, they, they still preach a transcendental, eternal, almighty God, but the, a notion, this notion of, of having a relationship with him as that of a father to a child, completely foreign. God's there, God's there, but there's no way you can know him that, that closely. There's no way you can know him that personally. And this is the hope of Jesus. Jesus is like, no, 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 I'm, I'm God's son. And, and we can pray to him as Abba, Father. He's loving. He wants us to relate to him as his child. And so John is writing to help us remember, help us understand this hope-giving, life-giving truth that we are a child of God who is dearly loved by God. And so that means... Okay, that means the basis of our faith is love. All right, and I know that sounds so cliche, but I mean, just think about it. The basis of our faith is, is, is love. So that means we don't, we don't act out our faith. We don't live out of our faith, out of guilt or shame or burden. No, we're, we're acting out of this, out of, out of love, out of knowing that God loves us. And so his commands are for our good and for his glory. And, and, and the basis of the, the way that we act, it's not out of, of shame or I've got to do this to force him to love me. No, he already loves me. So I want to respond out of my love for him. And so the basis of our faith is, is love, the love that God has shown to us and the love that we respond to him and to others with. And so we see John reminding us this truth of as children of God, we are loved by him deeply and in a generous way and in a, in a way that, that drives out fears and insecurities and guilt and, and, and shame and in a way that brings about hope and join us at hope and joy and, and redemption in him. John continues to talk more about what it means to be a child of God in verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see, we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So I, I think John hits to that tension of how can you claim to be a child of God when God is almighty, eternal, you know, before time, after time, you know, all powerful, all knowing. How can we claim to be a, a child of God? And here he's like, okay, we are a child of God. We don't know everything that that entails. And we won't know everything that that entails until, until we are with him. Uh, but, but we are a child of God. Now, 
we do get a glimpse of what that looks like. We get a glimpse of that in Christ, the one and only begotten Son who shows us what it looks like to live out the attributes of his heavenly Father, to live them out perfectly. We get a glimpse of, of what that looks like in and through Christ's life. Also with Jesus' resurrection, we get a glimpse of what that will look like for us after our death and resurrection, or maybe when Christ returns and we are with him. Then we'll see fully what it looks like to be a child of God and, and to be a part of his kingdom. And so, yes, that's a future hope. That's kind of hope for heaven and hope for eternal life. But John also talks about how that has a, a, a day-to-day implication. And it's in the last verse, in verse 3. All who have this hope in him, so that's future, what do they do? They purify themselves just as he is pure. That's what we're called to do day in and day out. And so what we, see at the, what we see with this is a child of God is loved by God and a child of God pursues the righteousness of God, pursues the righteousness and holiness of God in the way that we live and the way that we relate to him and the way that we relate to others. We are pursuing the righteousness and the holiness of God. John continues to, to emphasize this in verse four. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Some, some strong verses. I mean, John's, John, John's kind of getting into, into, the, into some territory that can, uh, at least for me, when I read it the first time, I'm like, ooh, this is, okay, if, if this was written for assurance of salvation, this is having the opposite effect, John. <laughs> because, like, like, I know that I'm, I sin, right? Like, I, I, I sin, and, and I know that tomorrow I'm, I'm probably going to sin, and the day after that I'm, I'm probably going to sin as well. And so, you know, from reading this, does that mean I'm lawless? And in the verses that follow after this, it talks about those who sin are of the devil. And so I'm like, okay, lawless and I'm of the devil. If this is on the assurance front, we are failing, John. And so just asking all those questions. And maybe you are asking those as well and having that interaction. Uh, but here's what we need to remember. Here's what we need to keep in mind. And um, uh, is this. I, I do think we're hitting on a little bit of a, a weakness of the English language. And I promise that's not a cop-out. But in, in the original Greek, uh, the, they have a, a verb tense that emphasizes or accentuates an ongoing habitual action that, is just, that happens daily, uh, almost 24-7. And so the, the verse is speaking and emphasizing to one that's just engaged in a habitual lifestyle, ongoing, where they're choosing sin after sin after sin after sin. So the, the English tries to capture it with um, the, the phrases like continues in sin, um, uh, continues in sin, anyone who keeps on sinning, so it keeps on sinning, it tries to capture it, but it's just weak and it can lead to some of that confusion. And so, but we don't need to be confused because when you, when you read First John, John and you, you see all of his teaching come together, you see that he's not saying we have to be sinless. He's not saying we have to be perfect. In fact, First John 1 8, he says, anyone who claims to be without sin deceives himself and the truth of God is not in him. And, and so John lets us no, hey, sin is part of the life of a child of God. But here's the difference. It's something that is fought against. It's not something that's embraced, tolerated, dismissed, or treated flippantly. That's what was happening with these false teachers. They said, I know this. I know this knowledge so I can live how I want to live. I can give in to every whim of my desire, every, all sin and immorality and wickedness. They were just embracing that sin, habitually giving into it. And, 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 that's, and John's like, that's off. That's, that's not where we can. Sin is part of, our, part of our life, but it's something to be fought against. 
So if we're going through, if we're going through these verses and you're aware of your sin and it grieves you because you know it grieves Christ and it's like, I know this is in my life. I don't want this to be part of my life. I want to confess this. I want to turn from this. And this might be a sin that I, I struggle with repeatedly because I don't want it to be there. I want it to be gone. I want it to be done. If that's your prayer, if that's your response to this, then, then rest easy because it shows you a child of God marked by him because you're seeing this is not supposed to be part of my life. I want it gone. I want it done. I want to confess it. I want to turn from it. And I want to trust in Christ. I want to trust in the Holy Spirit to, to deliver me out of this. However, if you have no desire, no desire, no desire to submit to the wisdom of God's word, if, if you have no intention of following God's wisdom in your life, all right, if there is no desire to follow the example of Christ, uh, of his righteousness, of his self-sacrificial life, and how that calls you to, to lay, down, uh, lay down some of your thoughts and beliefs and, and pursue him and follow after him, if there is no intention of doing that, no desire to do that, then perhaps you are deceiving yourself into thinking you're something that you're not. Perhaps you are deceiving yourself in your belief that you're a child of God. And I definitely think that is something that is very prevalent in the Deep South Bible Belt Christianity. Some of you claim to have uh, faith in Christ, yet their lives reveal that they are completely fine giving themselves over to a life of sin. And uh, there's so many ways that people excuse it, right? Boys will be boys, girls will be go- girls. You know, it's just, and that's so Old Testament or, you know, nobody lives like that anymore. That's so old fashioned or, or, you know, it's just, man, this is just how people live now. This is just how people do things. You just need to get with the times. All those phrases, all those phrases are attempts to try to justify that action that they know is against scripture. And, and it reveals a heart and a soul that is never entrusted, encountered and trusted in the sacrifice of Christ. Because Christ, what is, he, what is he doing on the cross? At his core, what is he doing? He's liberating us from sin. He's pulling us out of sin. So why would we repeatedly go back into it? If, 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 if we're, if, why would we, and be fine with it, and be fine with it. Again, I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but how, how can you claim to say, yes, I'm a child of God, yet intentionally choose the things again and again and again and again and again that show yourself against who Christ is and what, he, and what he's doing. And so what, this, what these verses are doing, I, I, again, I do believe that it can lead to an assurance of faith because it helps me see, okay, I know, I know I have sin in my life, but I'm trusting in Christ's perfect, sovereign, complete work to take that sin away from me and, and, and to not credit my sins against me. I know that he's also called me to pursue holiness and righteousness. And so when sin happens in my life, I'm gonna confess it, repent, and, and war against that sin in my own life. And, and that shows me as a child of God, I'm not okay with this being in, in, in my life. And so when that is, when you see that in your own heart and in your own soul, then yes, that can lead to an assurance of salvation. If that is missing, it, I, I do think this text can call one to salvation. Because if you're humble enough to ask those hard questions of yourself and humble enough to see where perhaps you've been deceiving yourself, I think it can lead you to see and, and to respond to the invitation of faith that Christ is giving to you for you to rest and become his child. Now, re- remember, this is also, again, written to counter those false teachers, and they were ones that, that demonstrated this broken dynamic, right? They had the knowledge, but they gave themselves to sin and to wickedness over and over and over again. And so uh, uh, again, with doing that, they are, whatever they claimed about Jesus, they're showing that they had no appreciation, no concern, no care for the cross because they weren't willing to, to, to give up or even see their sinful actions as sin. Well, that's probably the best way to say it. Not even willing to see their sin as sin. 
and, and confess and repent and turn from it. And so this is a, a teaching that is countering the false teachers. And John really ramps up the pressure on the false teachers in verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or, or, their brother or sister. Anyone who does not love their, their brother and sister. So again, John is ramping up the pressure in these verses and really not pulling any, any, any punches. You want to know if they're a false teacher? Look at their life. Look at their life. Their life reveals their doctrine. If these teachers are continuing in sin, immorality, and wickedness, they are of the devil. And they're opposed to the work of Jesus. And Jesus is opposed to their work. Do not let them lead you astray. Now you might be saying, David, okay, this was written, you know, 2,000 years ago to the early church. What is the application today? I think, I think still, I think still we need to look at those that are both in the church that are, are, are wanting to have influence and power over the church and see, okay, uh, are, are they a false teacher? But I also think this word is for um, those that are maybe outside of the church who are claiming the title of Christian, but yet are also seeking influence and power over the evangelical church. We need to ask hard questions. Like, okay, are they, are, are they a follower of Christ? Are they a child of God? Or are they trying to lead us astray? How do you know? Ask the question, do they carry themselves as a child of God? Anyone who claims to be a pastor, teacher, Christian, or just leader wanting to have influence over, over the church, do they carry themselves as a child of God? Are they fighting against their own sinfulness? Are they fighting against their own sinfulness? Not are they pointing out the sin in the world. Okay, not are they pointing out the sin of that group or this group or those people or that people. Not that. Are they fighting against their own sinfulness? Are they showing a humble and contrite heart that, that wars against the darkness of their own soul? They're aware of their sin. They're confessing of their sin and they're asking and they're showing their, their need for Christ. Are, are they aware enough to where they're fighting against their own sin? Are, are, and, and in so doing, are they, are they doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord? That they would confess the sin and trust in him. Again, it's not that they have to be part Perfect. It's not that they have to be perfect. Hear me on that. Again, it is, they, they, don't, they don't have to be perfect. It's not that they can't ever make a mistake. But the language here is speaking to this habitual lifestyle of choosing actions and choosing work that is consistently against the work of Christ. And so you know, he gives us anyone who does not do what is right is, is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. So in this, with this question, are they carrying themselves as a child of God? One, are they fighting against their own sinfulness? Two, are they known for their love? Are they known for their love? Why? What great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. As, as children of God, we are to be known for our love because we do what we do because of who we are in Him. And He has shown us time and time again that we are loved we are loved, and so we're to love others with the love that comes from him. John 13, 35, by this you will know you are my disciples if you love one another. By this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So a child of God is known for their love of the Lord, love of his word, love of his righteousness, and the world knows that they are a follower of Christ because of their love for others. 
And so we're, we're seeing what John is giving us here, not only tools and diagnostics to be able to, diagnostic questions to be able to ask this of others, but I do believe these are, are, are ways to help ask questions of ourselves as well. And so throughout all this, I, I don't think it's just knowledge that John is giving. I think he's giving us calls to action as well. Um, first and foremost, I, I think it could be a call of action to salvation. Because maybe working through some of this text, some of you are starting to ask the question, God, am I deceiving myself? I, I, I see where I, I've claimed to know you, I've claimed to have this faith in you, but I see the pattern, the trajectory of my life has been one that is consistently leading me away from you. And so God, help me to stop deceiving myself today and trust in who you are and in the wisdom and in the work that you've done on the cross. And God, help me to leave my sin behind and pursue you and pursue your righteousness. I think that call to action could be for, for many of you today. To, to ask God to help you stop deceiving yourself and trust in him. So I think another call to action in this is for uh, the, the child of God to help this, uh, create this sense of urgency. God, help me to continue to fight against my sin. Help me to pursue your righteousness and help me to be known, uh, known as one who's sharing your love. Not be known, but help me to be one that shares your love with others. That this would be part of who I am because it's, it's part of who you've made me. I'm loved by you. God, may me be known and, and shown for one that shares your love with others. And so just, just, just imagine for me, just imagine for me, okay, the change that might come to your life, the change that might come to your life if you would accept the love that the Lord has given to you and through that become a child of him. Would you lay down fears of rejection? Would you lay down insecurities? Would you lay down sense of hopelessness? Would you lay down that self-deception that's thinking, I have to earn this, I have to, have to earn this way? Or would you finally be able to rest and be at peace with the love that God has shown to you, trusting in that love and finally becoming a child of God? So imagine the depth that might come to your faith if you continued your pursuit of righteousness and holiness, knowing that Jesus has forgiven you from your sin, liberated you from sin, but how, yes, we can be tempted to turn and go pick it up again, but how this shows us that, it, that sin offers us nothing, nothing that is worthwhile, nothing that is life-giving. We are only satisfied and made fully alive when we trust in the love that God has lavished onto his people. And imagine the joy. Imagine the joy that might come to your faith if you embrace this role of being a channel of God's love for others, to help others know and experience uh, the invitation that he has given to come and to be a child of God, to have sins forgiven, to be made new, to be brought into the family of God. You'd have a front row seat to watching God expand his family one child at a time. And I think it's a way that you'd be living out your identity as one who's grounded in who you are, a child of God, beloved, redeemed, made new, and part of the family of God. And we pray for us. God, we love you. We thank you for your wholeness. We thank you for your redemption and how you invite us into your perfection, how you invite us into um, the, the hope and the joy and the goodness of your kingdom. And God, I pray that we would know that and see what a great invitation that is to be a child of you and how when we grasp that, when we understand that in our head and in our heart and how it's expressed in our actions, Lord God, that that would lead us to not want to pursue sin, not lead us to, that would lead us to not want to pursue anything that is less than you and your wisdom and your hope. And so God, I pray that just this, uh, that, that we would heed the words of John and understand how life-changing and hope-giving this truth is, that we are a child of you. Uh, loved by you, that that would be what leads us to fight against our sin, to pursue righteousness, and to share your love with others. God, we love you. 
We thank you for your word that leads us into you, that guides us in your wisdom. God, help us, help us to know this truth and embrace this truth and live it out in our day-to-day living. God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.